Paul, as Cole said. Um, if you don't know me very well or know what I do, I work here. I'm the director of community outreach. I, uh, and I understand that that job is a little bit obscure, that maybe people don't fully understand what that is. In fact, I was reading some of the survey results, and somebody actually said that. I don't know what Paul Miller does. And if that was you, I'm okay with that. It took my dad about 10 years to understand my job, and I'm still not sure he quite gets it. Let me tell you a bit about my job. I love my job. I'm a little bit like an executive director. I, I oversee what's a small, what is essentially like a small not-for-profit, the next door space, rolling horse, and I'll be talking more about that in a minute in your invitation. I'm a little bit like a community pastor. Last night we had a worship gathering. We do that every month, and I feel privileged to be able to pastor this congregation, this community of people, many who are hurting and broken, who will come for prayer, who I can walk alongside of, who I can a community that I can walk around and pray for. I'm a little bit like an event planner. We have lots of special events, uh, thank fest, uh, Christmas gatherings. Uh, it takes lots of organization to pull these things off. There's an administrative part to my role. Last year, I felt out of my element as a general contractor building this community kitchen. I'm so glad that that's done. And often, I'm a dishwasher and floor mopper because I like a nice, clean floor. Like I said, I love it. I'm privileged to be able to serve, uh, to serve you and to serve our community. I was speaking last week with Gordon Heath. Gordon Heath is, uh, he's my professor. I'm also a student. I study at McMaster Divinity, and I'm taking a course on Christians and violence. Let me tell you, I'm loving it, Christians and violence. I, I'm loving learning about the Crusades in particular. And we were talking when I was asking my professor about the Crusades, and we were talking about it, and we were talking about how in light of these horrors, as well as things like the conquests and the cultural genocide and slavery, abuse and judgment, and we concluded, he concluded in his words, that the church needs to write a new narrative. We need a new story to tell as a church to our society. Now, you might argue that not everyone views the church in the light of these past atrocities. And I would accept that argument. Even so, I think it's fair to say that many see the church at its worst as horrific, but maybe at its best as simply just irrelevant. I love this quote from, uh, from Milton Friesen. Milton Friesen is a researcher with the Cardis Think Tank, and in his work, he demonstrates the social and economic benefit of faith communities, and he asks this question, what if faith communities are more than some ancient crustaceans, the horseshoe crabs of community life that may have coexisted with the dinosaurs, but which survive only become, because of some fortuitous evolutionary glitch? What if? What if? What if there is a new narrative of the church today that, or, or sorry, let me ask that again. What if? If that is the narrative of the church today, at worst abusive, at best irrelevant, is it time for us to write a new narrative? And am I not being fair? Are we, all writing, are we already writing a new narrative? There should be a picture coming up here in just a moment. My, I probably didn't give Tim the right cue there. You recognize these guys? Angus, Imran, Steve, David... Oh, and I skipped over their fearless leader, Andy, in the Buffalo Sabres hat. These guys 
were up at Muskrat Dam. This is our team that went up to Muskrat Dam, and Andy sent out an email last week giving us a report uh, about, uh, about that experience. So some of us read that email. I'm going to read a portion of it from you. Andy wrote, The Sunday afternoon there was a community potluck feast in our honor. The chief Stan Beardy had many good things to say about us and mentioned that our trip is all part of reconciliation. Imagine that. After decades of hurt inflicted on First Nations people, a group of five guys from Forestview can spend a week up north and contribute to our reconciliation with the First Nations communities. I'm guessing that this man, Stan, Stan Beardy, as a, as a First Nation chief, doesn't use this word reconciliation loosely. He doesn't just throw it around and say, hey guys from Forestview, let's come on up and reconcile. I think that's a very sacred word for them, important word, and it's a privilege, and it's amazing to think that this experience was a part and has been a part of their reconciliation. Five guys on their own dime, on their own time, entering and joining into a foreign place as salt and light. So you might say, stop being so negative, Paul. The new narrative is already being written. Welcome to Road Trip Sunday. Not to be mistaken with Super Bowl Sunday, that's later. Before that, we are inviting you as a congregation, and I know the weather's not great, but the roads are fine. You made it here, down to next door. Forget the coffee, our coffee is better. <laughs> After the nine o'clock service, we're gonna finish a bit early. We'd love for you to come down to next door, be welcomed by Angie and a bunch of her friends and a bunch of our people, um, and hear about the new narrative that is being written in the Aldershot community. So please join us, join them. And, uh, and, and, and come see what's happening at Next Door and Rolling Horse. In the meantime, before we go, we're going to spend some time thinking about the story that we are writing as a church in this local neighborhood at Bronte and Dundas and as a collection of Jesus followers in our own neighborhoods and workplaces across Halton and the GTA. And we are thinking about this because it matters. As a church gathered at Bronte and Dundas, we have an obligation to our parish, to this local neighborhood where we are planted. And as a church scattered Monday to Thursday, we have many, many obligations across Halton and the GTA in the places where we live, work, and play. To help us think through this idea of a new narrative and the type of people we are to be amongst our neighbors, we are going to go to a well-known portion of scripture, um, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5. And in it, uh, the sermon opens with a, a very well-known passage or piece called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, what, uh, are this set of radical teachings which Richard Rohr describes as the blueprint for the Christian lifestyle. They are the blessed are statements. Statements, uh, um, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who are mourn, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger for justice, the peacemakers. And if that's not radical enough, radical enough, Jesus then tells his disciples that they are to go out into the world not as conquerors, but as salt and light. And that's the passage we're going to read. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything 
except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Salt and light. Rather than dissect these ideas, salt and light, I think we can conflate them to say that Jesus is calling us to be different. To be different and to make a difference. He's calling us to enhance our communities as salt enhances to preserve that which is good as salt preserves, and to bring hope to dark places as light brings hope to us each morning. So how as a church do we do this? How are we to be different? I mentioned the research group CARDIS. They did this, uh, this research. Um, they pro pro uh, produced this report called the HALO Project. And what they did was they studied 10 churches in Toronto, and they put an economic value on the common good that these churches provide. And their finding is that for every dollar the church spends, they translate it into $4.77 worth of common goods and services. That means that if we spend $700,000 as a church, that translates into $2.8 million or more. And they do this through community, churches do this through community gardens, day camps, daycares, employment support programs, refugee resettlement. I once had a garden plot at a community garden at North Burlington Baptist. I would go there and I would work in the garden. And what I would notice as I went is that there was this group of Sikh men who would gather under this pagoda. The pagoda was built for the gardeners. But these Sikh men took it over and they would gather and they would do what Sikh men do and they gathered together. They were playing some kind of a game, trading hockey cards or something. I don't know what it was. But it was amazing, and I started to talk to the pastor about it, and the pastor was telling me, yeah, you know, they, they started coming last year, and then fall came, and so we went out to them and said, do you guys want to come inside? And so they started coming inside, and they'd spend their winter together as a group doing, again, whatever they were doing together. And this church was being salt and light to them. They were enhancing their life. They were enhancing their community. They were... Um, preserving individuals, they, they were improving quality of life. They were being salt and light. Now, the neat thing is that this story comes full circle for me because I don't have that garden plot anymore. But um, one of the Sikh men who goes and is part of that group is actually my neighbor. He's, well, he's my neighbor's uncle, and he lives uh, with them through the summer months. And so I was out working in my garden, and this Sikh man comes to me with an invitation to North Burlington Baptist Church and their fall fair. I'm being invited to church by my Sikh neighbor. <laughs> it's astounding. Church is doing salt and light and look, look what happens. They're going out and they're spreading the good news. They're all going out and they're helping the church with their invitations. But you know why, why it is, why he was so excited to invite us? Because the church had not just invited them to come use the space, but at their fall fair, the, this group of Sikh men were actually serving, and they, I believe they were serving their own food, and they were participating in the fall fair. It was this beautiful thing that was going on, and it was so cool to be invited into it, uh, to be invited by, by this man. 
So I don't doubt that we believe this, that as a church, as Jesus followers in our communities, we need to be salt and light. I don't doubt that you believe that. But I wonder if we pay attention to the statements attached to these ideas. Tim, if you could go back to the slide of that scripture. It says that with salt, Jesus says that if we lose our saltiness, we're of no value. Do we believe this? Do we pay attention to those words? That our impact as salt of the earth is the measure of our worth. It also says, or do we think it's okay just to exist for ourselves? Do we understand the importance of being salt in our communities? Or do we think it's okay as a church to just exist for ourselves? Now sometimes in our own personal lives, we have pain. And sometimes our lives feel like it is just about us. But I've seen, even among you as a community of people, in your own suffering and pain, how you've been salt and light in the gracious way that you've shared your suffering with us. So even in our own suffering, when it feels like it's about us, we can be salt and light to the way that we graciously receive words from others in the way that we open up and share about our pain. And I've experienced that, and I know that to be true as I've seen that in so many of you. And look what he says about light. This is remarkable. It's not in a negative way, but it's in a very positive way. Jesus says that if we let our light shine and produce good works, we will see this. People will see this and give glory to God. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that to be true? I've been doing what, I've been, what I do for a lot of years, and I've had on more than one occasion people come up and say something to the effect of... Um, if you're only doing good works, how are you any different than, and often it's the United Way? How are you any different than the United Way? Or how are we as a church any different? Um, I say, well, first of all, that's not a good comparison because the United Way doesn't do good works, they fund good works. But that aside, how are, what they're really saying is, how are we any different than a social service organization? Well, Jesus is saying right here that good works have value in and of themselves. In other words, a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus. Without even proclaiming the name of Jesus, just given in the name of Jesus can cause people to give glory to the Father in heaven. And that's miraculous. That's astounding. Do we really believe that? This is what Jesus is telling us. So what we've been talking about so far is much about the church and the church parish. We use examples of the Baptist church. But how about the church, what I would say, the church scattered? So in other words, you as individuals, as part of the church, go out into your neighborhoods, into your workplaces. How are you to be salt and light in these places? Well, I want to give you three words. The first of these words is enter. Enter into the places where people are. And next door, we have this, uh, I heard the story of one of the women from our, our, our congregation who comes down and serves regularly was telling me about how uh, when she serves, she knows that she feels, well, her task, her job is to be in the kitchen behind the serving counter and to serve. But one day, the Lord was laying it on her heart to get out from behind the serving counter and go out and talk to a particular woman. 
And that was actually a little bit of a hard thing for her to do, to move out from behind the serving counter and enter into the common space where the people who she was serving are. At next door, we recognize that it's easy to say, um, we've got a ministry center there, so we're going to go down into next door and we're going to do outreach. And then we realize that's just like saying, uh, we've built this church here and now everyone is going to come to us. We realized uh, early on that we need to get out of our front doors into the neighborhood. And so we set up a ball hockey program in the local ball hockey league in the local, in the local park. And we took a garden plot at the local community garden. And one of the things that we started to do about a year and a half or a couple of years ago, or that I was doing with a, a friend of mine, Marcus, is prayer walk. Walking the neighborhood and praying. The, uh, the, the amazing thing that happens when you prayer walk is God gives you this deeper heart for your neighborhood. As you are walking around that neighborhood week after week and praying for it, God deepens your passion and your love for that community. One day we were walking, as we were prayer walking, we came past the community garden, and there was a woman there who I, who I know, I knew, um, knew her kind of well, not really well, uh, but it was early on a Friday morning, she was working in the garden, so we stopped and we talked to her, and we said, what are you doing up so early? And she said, well, what are you doing up so early? And we said, well, we're prayer walking. And she said, oh, you're prayer walking. And then she pointed to her apartment building. She said, pray for that apartment. That was a year and a half ago. And just in the last month, Angie, through continuing in relationship with her, has come to know what she was talking about. We didn't really know what she was talking about. So we just prayed for that apartment. And as week after week, as the Lord brought it to mind, we would pray for that apartment. But now we know and understand more fully as we've developed trust with her uh, about the hardships and the anxiety and the pain that she suffers and the squalor that she lives in and why she was calling us and asking us to pray. Perhaps you and your neighborhood can just get out, walk your neighborhood, and as you go, pray. And if you don't know how to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray that God would bless your neighborhood. Pray that God would bring favor and healing where there needs to be healing. You don't know the story behind every closed door but you know that there's going to be brokenness in many of the homes around you. So pray for them. And maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe you need to walk the halls of your school and pray or around the cubicles and get out of that little safe space of your office or the fire hall or the police station, whatever it is. Pray around it. Pray that God would bring people to mind. Pray that you would ask, have encounters as you were walking, conversation, that people might even ask, what are you doing? praying. So can you get out your front door into your neighborhood, into your workplace, out of that safe place? Second word is join. What we've also learned is that we need to join in on the things happening in our communities. It's easy for us at next door to say, we are going to do big events and we are going to invite the neighborhood to come. So we do Thankfest, which is a community festival. But we also need to, as a community down there, be a part of the, the festivals and the activities that the neighborhood is putting on and that the neighborhood is organizing. Aldershot is a very organized neighborhood. They love to, uh, they're very proud of their community identity. So they have a big festival called Alderfest. And it took me a year to figure this out because we were so 
concentrated on our own festival, that we need to be a part of and a greater part of the festival that they're doing. So they invited Rolling Horse to come down to the festival last year. And so we came down and we had a presence there. And I was there just walking and just realizing, yes, I need to be here. I just need to be as that community pastor role. But we need to be part of the things that are going on in our neighborhoods. We have this opportunity to do that. The cities and towns that we live in across Halton love block parties. They love neighborhoods to put on block parties. If there's a block party in your neighborhood, just go and be a part of it. Join in on what's going on. Participate in the life of your community. And then the third word is invite. Central to the church's mission is to care for the poor, the lonely, and the forgotten. And when we serve in this way, you have an opportunity to tell those stories of what you're doing and invite your neighbors to join you because your neighbors want to be a part of this sort of a thing. I know there are people in our church where spouses may not come on a Sunday morning, but they'll come out on a Wednesday night and turn hot dogs, flip, bar flip uh, not flip barbecues. <laughs> That's like Jesus in the temple. No, it's not that. <laughs> flip burgers or go serve uh, and cook breakfast on a, on a Saturday morning at Kerr Street Mission. You have neighbors, you have friends that may not come to church on a Sunday morning, but if you invite them to come serve, they may just come along and serve with you. They may have a hunger to do something like that. Ryan has a couple of retired guys who, uh, from, from the neighborhood who were hanging out with him at the bike shop uh, two or three times a week. Just guys from the community because they wanted to be a part of something good that was going on. At Next Door, um, through the Kitchen Development Project, we... Uh, we gathered a lot of momentum and people started to learn more about what we were doing. And a local Rotary Club just recently has heard about it and has, want, has said, we want to be a part of this. We want to participate in what you're doing. And the neat thing there is that actually, there's always neat little stories that come out of things like this. So the, uh, I was on a, on a FaceTime call with Angie and, and two of the Rotarians. And as the one Rotarian got to know the story a little bit more about Next Door and how it's... Uh, a project of Force Through Church, an outreach of Force Through Church, he was like, oh, C.H. Norton. I was the principal at C.H. Norton when you guys used to meet there. And so, again, you start to invite, you do these things. Neat little things also start to happen. And so he said that Mike, uh, Mike Stone's a good guy and that I should say hi to him, which I did. We are... Uh, I, I want to close with a quote from British writer G.K. Chesterton. He says, Christianity isn't a failure, it just hasn't been tried yet. Richard Rohr comments on this quote asking, have we really yet unlocked the power to deeply understand and follow Jesus along the radical path he is calling to? Have we really tried to be salt and light? No, I believe the answer is yes. But do we need to continue down this road in our parish at Bronte and Dundas and in our own parishes where we live, work, and go to school and in our community at next door? Of course, the answer is yes. Like the guys who went to Muskrat Dam on their own time and dime, will it cost us? Yes. Like the woman who came out from behind the counter, will it take us out of our comfort? Yes. Will Christ go with us 
as we enter, join, and invite? Yes. I want to invite you this morning to receive Christ in these emblems, emblems, reminders for us that he entered into our world and has invited us into life with him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the radical call that you've placed on our lives to live this in this upside-down way of the Beatitudes and to be salt and light in the communities and in the worlds where we exist. We pray that you would help us to find the ways to, to be salt and light, to, to preserve that which is good, to enhance what's going on, and to be hope to those who are feeling without hope. Father, we thank you for the way that you have entered into our world and you have invited us into relationship with you and you have offered us fellowship and you have offered us salvation. And these emblems remind us of that. As we take them, may we be mindful and may we be grateful and deeply thankful. In Christ's name we pray, amen.